Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of the pastors here at The Rock. If you brought your Bibles, I want to take you to John chapter 13 and verse 31. <clears throat> John chapter 13 and verse 31. A little bit of an obscure place of scripture, if I do say so uh, myself, but um, a place of scripture that I believe has profound implications for our lives today and some profound things for you and I to consider as we endeavor to follow Jesus uh, in our lives. And so John chapter 13, verse 31, as I get my notes all in order here, because we did this last service already. Here we go. The Bible says, so when he had gone out, speaking of Judas, <clears throat> Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Verse 36, Simon Peter, not distracted at all by Jesus' commandment to love, he asked Jesus about the previous subject. And it says, Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. This morning, the title of the message is Achieving Readiness. Achieving Readiness. If you're taking notes, the title is Achieving Readiness. Now, if you'll allow me a little bit of time to lay a little bit of groundwork, just so uh, you're, you're, we're all in the same place as we move into what I believe God wants to say to us today. I, I think there's a couple of things that we need to understand about the context of these verses. The first one is this. In John chapter 13, we are brought the beginning of Jesus' final words to his disciples. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus is, as you saw just a moment ago, he's about to depart from this world. He said, little children, I'm going to be with you just a little while longer. I'm going to depart. I'm going to go back to the, to the Father, and I'm going to be glorified together with him. And so Jesus, identifying the time and the season that he's in, he turns to the disciples. And if you have a red letter edition Bible, you'll find that they are packed full of red letters from John 13, John 14, John 15, John 16, and John 17. Packed full of the words of Jesus. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is pouring into the lives of the disciples the things that they would need in order for them to be a success after he was gone. Let me say that again. I think that's worth considering today. How many of you out there want to be a success now that Jesus has died, he has risen, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father? Anybody out there today? Or, okay, I'm, I'm, thank, you, thank you for those few hand claps and those few hands that went up. I want to be successful. I want to be able to follow Jesus. I want to end up at the destination that, that he has for us, and, that he has for me. And so what Jesus is doing here is, hey, I'm, I'm about to go. And here's what I need you to understand. You, you, you understand this, that when a person comes to the end of their life, 
The words that they share with loved ones, the words that they share with family members, they're not talking about the fluff of life. They're not talking about, let's go to the beach and let's ride some waves, dude. They're talking about, hey, these are the important things. Here, here, here's here's what, I, what I have taken away from my life. Here's what, I want to, here's what I want to sow into yours. Here's what I want you to know so that when I'm gone, you remember and you're successful. We picked up the story in John 13, verse 31. Judas, Jesus' betrayer, has literally just walked out the front door. And Jesus understands that Judas is about to initiate Jesus' betrayal and his arrest. And so he immediately turns and he starts to talk to the disciples about his departure. We've kind of said this already, right? His departure. And he says, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be glorified together with the Father, with the glory that I shared with the Father before time began. Jesus, in verses 31, 32, and 33, begins to talk to his disciples about achieving ultimate glory. Achieving ultimate glory. And I want to step back for just a moment. I want to say this to everybody, that before Jesus achieved ultimate glory, the Bible says that he, when he came to earth, he put on display the act of ultimate humility. Ultimate humility. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says that Jesus being in the form of God and not considering it robbery to be equal with God, that he laid aside, he set aside his reputation. That is, he set aside his glory. He made himself of no reputation. And the Bible says that he left his heavenly privileges and he came all the way from heaven down on your behalf and on mine. And he took on the form of a man and he was found in, in appearance as a man. And then the Bible goes further and says, and Jesus humbled himself and he, be, and he became obedient even to the point of death. Wow, talk about humility. Talk about condescension. In fact, there's an old song that says, what condescension bringing us redemption. He stooped to woo, to win, and to save my soul. I wonder if there's any thankful people in the place today that Jesus had such humility and such condescension that he did not consider your state and he did not consider mine, neither did he consider his. He laid it aside and he put on display the act of ultimate humility. He was the Lamb of God. He did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ah, but once Jesus was finished with the work of the cross, he would rise again as the triumphant king and he would achieve ultimate glory. Come on, somebody. He disarmed principalities and powers. He disarmed principalities and powers. He made an open spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The Bible says that he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, having nailed it to the cross. And when he had by himself purged our iniquity, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. That is to say that the work of salvation was fully complete. It was fully done. The work of salvation had been wrought. And now anybody who should call upon the name of Jesus can be saved. Talk about ultimate glory. Talk about ultimate glory. Ah, but the text, because we didn't stop at verse 33, we went all the way to verse, what, 38, right? The text is not just a story about Jesus' triumph, about his humility, his triumph, his, his sufferings, and then one day achieving ultimate glory. It is a call and it is an invitation to you and to me to follow in his footsteps. Let me say that again. 
This story is a call to you and to me to follow Jesus. Anybody out there want to follow Jesus? To follow Jesus and to follow him in his triumphs, to follow him in his victories, and to one day achieve ultimate glory. Ah, but this call, this invitation for the disciples, it proved that they were severely unprepared. They were severely unprepared to follow Jesus. May I remind everybody what the coming hours would reveal about the disciples, right? Jesus talks to them about, uh, actually, let me step back for just a moment. Let's look at verse number 36, because I, I want to I point something out here. Verse number 36. This is not just a story about Jesus. It is a call to you and I to follow in his footsteps. Look at the words of Jesus. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. That is to say, you're going to follow me later. Uh, in fact, he goes on and he says this, but, and that's a big but. That's a big but in the Bible. And there's lots of big buts, and we need to pay attention to the big buts that are in the Bible. I'm going to leave that one alone. Amen. But you shall follow me afterward. You shall follow me afterward. Okay? So an invitation and a call to you and to me to follow in Jesus' footsteps, a call that the disciples were severely unprepared for. Uh, again, let me just take a few moments uh, to talk about what the coming hours would reveal about the disciples. And Jesus gets done talking to them about, you know, what's going to happen and pouring into their lives to make them a success. And then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he begins to pray. Okay, and he takes his disciples with them. He asks them to pray. Specifically, he, he pulls aside Peter, James, and John, right? Peter, James, and John. Uh, let me remind everybody about these guys. Peter, James, and John were the ones that got to see Jesus transfigured on the mountain, right? These were the same guys who, uh, they were found disputing with one another about who was greatest among them. These were also the, the, the guys who, uh, and, and please forgive me if this is my American perspective, if I don't understand the culture quite, but it just feels a little awkward when I read that these guys sent their mom on their behalf to ask Jesus if they could sit on Jesus' right hand and on his left in the coming kingdom. That just feels a little, grown men, mom, will you go talk to Jesus? And it just feels a little awkward. Uh, can, I, can I say this to everybody today? They liked the idea of glory and they liked to experience the glory. Oh, but perhaps they really weren't as prepared for it as they thought. And so Jesus pulls them aside. He asks them to pray. On three separate occasions, they're, they're found asleep. You know the story. And on the third time, Jesus comes to them and says, what, could you not tarry and pray with me for one hour? Guys, my betrayer is at hand. The time has come. Let me put it to you this way. They missed the opportunity they had to be prepared for that moment. Um, as I was praying, I thought, I want to present this thought to everybody an opportunity must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity or it will pass you by. These guys had an opportunity to be in prayer and to be ready for Jesus' betrayal, for his arrest, and then his crucifixion on the cross. What were they doing? They were asleep, sound asleep. They missed the opportunity that they had. Let me see if I can put this in a way everybody understands. Gentlemen in the house, for those of you who are married, once a year, you have this thing called an anniversary. You have a 24-hour opportunity to do something. 
And if that opportunity passes you by, you're going to be in trouble. Can I get an amen from the sisters in the house? Might I I also suggest to, to the men in the house that instead of waiting for the anniversary day to come, if you'll go ahead and give it a little forethought and get prepared so that when it does come, you're ready to go, you'll do yourself a whole lot of favors. Come on, somebody. Because an opportunity many times must be seized within the lifetime of that opportunity or it's going to pass you by. They had an opportunity to pray. They had an opportunity to, pre- to, to be prepared. Well, Judas shows up, right? Jesus, they, they proceed to arrest him. And Peter decides to get valiant. He pulls out a sword. The Bible says he goes after the servant of the high priest. Now again, here comes my American perspective. And I think to myself, you went after the servant of the high priest? you should have gone after one of the soldiers, brother. I mean, if you're going to be valiant and you're going to defend Jesus and you're going to die for Jesus, shouldn't you have gone? You went after the servant of the high priest. And by the way, you only managed to get an ear. (laughs) Maybe I've seen too many movies. I just think the the story would just be so much more rich if Peter went out and chopped off the arm of a soldier and then Jesus was like, watch this. Okay, too far, too far. Puts that back on. Peter's efforts outwardly looked valiant, but he was carnally motivated, and he missed the heart of God for the moment. And Jesus had to tell him, Peter, I want you to put the sword away, because he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. You know, again, as I was preparing, I thought to myself, you know, I I think this is a word in season, because there's a whole lot of people pulling out swords today, online, going after one another. And the Bible says, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. In fact, I even thought to myself, I wonder how really, truly prepared I was for COVID, how prepared the church was for COVID. And guys, today, I'm not talking about vaccines. I'm not talking about masks. And I'm not talking about politics. What I'm talking about is the level of division I see in the church, in my own life, among my own family, and my own friends. It matches that of the world. And can I just tell everybody this in a loving heart? These things ought not to be so. If you live by the sword, a kingdom divided against itself, Jesus said, cannot stand. And so he he tells Peter, put the sword away, and Jesus is arrested, and what happens? The disciples abandon Jesus. The Bible says that they are scattered and they flee. They essentially leave Jesus to go on trial alone, okay? A number number of hours later, uh, Peter is confronted by a servant girl. Hey, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you part of his group? Which point Peter denies Jesus uh, three times, right? And on one occasion, the Bible says he starts to cuss and he starts to curse and starts to act anything like, anything but like someone who was part of Jesus' group just to distance himself from the Lord. Quite a far cry from where he started. He had a boastful commitment of solidarity to Jesus Christ. And not even 24 hours later, he's denying even knowing him. Uh, can I ask everybody a question this morning? Does this group of men sound like a group that's going to follow Jesus into ultimate glory, triumph, victory? Right? No, no, it, it, it doesn't. These guys were severely unprepared for the demand of the moment and for the demand that following Jesus would place on their lives. Can I just say this to everybody? If you've signed up 
With Jesus, there's going to be a demand and a requirement placed upon your life. All of us like glory. All of us like celebration, celebrating Jesus, victory. If he's higher, let him be high. But then when the rubber meets the road, are we really prepared to follow Jesus into all that he has for us? Peter thought he was ready, but when the rubber met the road, he was found severely lacking. Let me put it to you maybe a little bit of a different way. It's one thing to make a commitment. It's an entirely different thing to follow through and execute on that commitment. It's one thing to make a commitment to God. It's another thing to follow through with that commitment. Peter said, Jesus, I will die for you. It's one thing to worship. It is another thing to obey. It's one thing to love God. It's another thing to love people. A new commandment I give to you. Hey, listen, listen, baby, if you're going to follow me, I'm giving you a new commandment. And this new commandment, I want you to love as I have loved. We're talking about following in Jesus' footsteps, triumph, victory, into glory. Jesus said, I want you to follow my footsteps and love. It's one thing to love God. It's another thing to love people. Ah, It's one thing to love God. It's another thing to forgive people. It's one thing to build a life. It's another thing to build a life that weathers storms. It's one thing to hear the words of Jesus. It's another thing to allow Jesus to transform your life. It's one thing to celebrate his victory and his ultimate glorification. It's an entirely different thing to follow Jesus the rest of the week. See, once again, we like the idea of victory and glory and following Jesus. We just want to skip the battles that go along with it. We just we want to skip the sacrifice. We want to skip the process. We want to skip the season. And maybe you're here today and say, man, Pastor Joe, I hate my workplace. I just want to get out of it. Maybe there's some single people in the house. I'm tired of the season of singleness. God is toughing me to get married. Next person I see, I'm marrying them. Perhaps we're frustrated with the different seasons in our lives, but can I suggest to you that maybe God has you in that season because he's trying to develop something in your life to prepare you for what is to come. See, everybody likes the idea of, you know, the overnight success. Uh, everybody likes the idea of, you know, the easy way to the top. But, but I wonder, uh, in fact, let me make this statement to you. Well, the overnight successes, those are the anomaly and not the rule. And I wonder to myself deep on the inside, how many of these overnight successes actually last? Because while they're an overnight success, perhaps they have not achieved readiness for the long haul. God may have you in a season because he's trying to develop something in your life. He's trying to bring something out of you. He's trying to get you ready for what is to come. I wrote this one down. I like this one. We all like the idea of a war room. We'll even go see the movie. We just don't want to pray. We want the power. We want the results. We just don't want to pray. Laying hold of triumph, laying hold of victory, and one day achieving ultimate glory along with Jesus happen when we are prepared to weather storms, take opportunities, and truly follow Jesus in self-denial. Uh, we achieve readiness by, number one, building for storms. We achieve readiness today, number one, by building for storms. As I look at the story, I see Peter facing a storm. 
Peter's storm was the, was the storm of um, a hostile religious opposition. These guys wanted nothing more than for Jesus to shut up and go away. And they were willing to lie, to conspire, and to, and to kill to get it done. I, I call that a storm. And because Peter was part of Jesus' group, he had a target on his back. Fun fact for everybody today, if you signed up with Jesus, you got a target on your back. You got a target on your back from the enemy and you've got a target on your back from the world. And I think that's important to understand because a lot of people in church today, they think that signing up with Jesus means an exemption from the storms of life. My friends today, the exact opposite may be true. Signing up with Jesus just might mean that you're going to face more storms and more opposition than you would had you not signed up with Jesus. Oh, but I can't leave it there. I got to say, but if you've signed up with Jesus, Jesus promises the victory. Jesus promises to carry you through. You can make it. You can do it. And in the end, Peter says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be, to be compared with the glory that is to come. What is my point? That in the Christian life, we will face storms. Storms come in all shapes and storms come in all sizes, right? Storms come when you least expect them. And they come from the least expected people. I mean places. Did I? Let me try that again. They come when you least, where's my notes here? They come when you least expect them and they come from the least expected, pe I mean places. You understand what I mean, people and places. Jesus said you would face storms. They come in all shapes and sizes. And the reason why Jesus tells us that we will face storms is not because he wants to be the bearer of, of bad news. Uh, he likes to be negative. He tells us because he wants us to be prepared beforehand so that when they show up in our lives, we are ready to go. We know what to do about them. We know where to run and we can weather the storm. Let me put it to you another way. Jesus tells us we will have tribulation. He tells us we're going to face storms because Jesus doesn't want us to be taken by surprise when storms show up in our lives. In March, of, March 25th, 2011, my son was born with congenital heart disease. He had three open heart surgeries by the time he was four months old. The second open heart surgery, they had to bring him back from the operating table with his chest still open. I know that's graphic. I know that's kind of ugly, and you probably don't like the idea of thinking about that. My point is that we will face storms, and you can live a perfect lily-white life and think, and the crap still hit the fan. Please forgive me if that's offensive, okay? But Jesus tells us ahead of time so that when those times come, we are not taken by surprise. And as I said a moment ago, Jesus, is, Jesus says that we can be built to weather those storms. Listen, today, I've got good news. You can weather the storm of persecution. You can weather the storm of opposition. You can weather the storm of sickness and disease. The Bible says that the spirit of a man will sustain him in time of sickness. And we know that that spirit is the spirit that's connected to the Holy Spirit. And he is sustained and he weathers the storm of sickness and disease. You can weather the storm of financial crisis. You can weather the storm of a broken heart. You can weather the storm of a lost relation. You can weather the storm of a lost loved one. You can weather the storms that come your way because Jesus said with him, all things are possible. In Matthew chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, it says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain, here, here we go, and the rain descended. Does that sound like a, a storm to anybody else? The floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. You can weather the storm. And you know what the cool thing about this verse is that Jesus tells us how. How do you weather the storm? By sowing the word of God into your life. By sowing the, he who, he who hears these sayings of mine, that would represent sowing the word of God into your life, okay, and does them. Okay, so we know that hearing the word is, is Jesus is after not just the hearing, but the doing, although hearing is half the battle. But when you hear and you do the word of God, when you sow the word of God and then you put it to practice in your life, the Bible, Jesus equates that with being built for storms. You are going to weather the storm. There's just something about doing the Word of God, right? When you do the Word of God, what happens? You experience that it's true, and you find out that it works. So the next time a storm comes into your life, you're ready to go. I like the way it, it says it about David. David, when he approached Goliath, he said, hey, listen, the same God who delivered me from the mouth of the bear and who delivered me from the mouth of the lion will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. You see, David had some experience with the word of God, some experiences with God, so that the next time he faced a storm, he was prepared. I, I don't want to move on to the next point because I think there's one other principle that's vitally important to building for storms. I call it the preparation of prayer. The preparation of prayer. Matthew chapter 26, verses 38 through 41. Let, let me read this to you. Matthew 26, verses 38 through 41. This is a principle that we find in the story that we began with over there in John chapter 13. Different gospel, same story. Matthew 26, 38 says, Then Jesus said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said, Peter, and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Many of us only view prayer through the lens of a means to make our requests known to God. But prayer is more than just a means of making your request known to God. Prayer is a means of preparation. Before Jesus faced the storm of betrayal, before Jesus faced the storm of arrest, uh, you know, being lied on, false witnesses, before Jesus faced the storm of the cross, where was Jesus? He was in the place of prayer. And the Bible says that in that place of prayer, you can, how about this, work out the kinks. Do, do you realize today that Jesus, before he went to the cross, he was in that place of prayer preparing, number one, by working out the kinks. I wonder if you've ever considered the fact that there was a time in Jesus' life where he had a different opinion and a different feeling and a different way that he wanted to go than the way that the Father wanted him to go. Don't raise your hands. I believe we've probably all been there. Jesus was there, and we learned from his life that it was there in prayer that he was working out the kinks. He said, Father, not as I will, but as you will. 
Not as I will, but as you will. See, before you get into a storm, you want to work out the kinks in prayer so those kinks don't become the fault lines upon which your life crumbles. Prayer is a means of preparation because it's a place where we can work out the kinks with God. How about this? It goes on to say that Jesus there in prayer, before he went to the cross, he rolled his burden over onto God. In Luke 22, 43, it says that God strengthened him in that place of prayer. The Bible says it's the place of prayer you can, that you can avoid temptation. You can be watchful and you can move beyond just having a willing spirit into a place of readiness, into a place where you can execute in the moment and the hour that God has called you to. Prayer is a means of preparation. In fact, I even like to say it like this. Prayer is is the place of communion. Prayer is the place of relationship. Hello, somebody. Prayer is the place where you get alone and there you meet up with God. And can I say this? When you meet up with God, you can't help but walk away different. You walk away and you... You walk away and you are strengthened. You walk away remembering that He is yours and you are His. And that wherever you go, that he goes with you. And you walk away from a place of communion in prayer, stating things like, you know what? When I pass through the water, he will be with me. And through the river, it shall not overflow me. And when I go through the fire, I shall not be burned because the Lord my God, he is with me wherever I go. Lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. It's in that place of prayer that we realize who God is. We remember who God is. And God can build us into who we need to be. Building for storms is achieved through the word of God and prayer. Number two today, we achieve readiness by, number two, learning to identify opportunities. When I look at Peter's life, I believe he had an opportunity to give witness to Jesus Christ, to glorify God. When he was asked by the servant girl, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you part of his group? I believe that was an opportunity to glorify God and to give witness. Look what Peter says later on in life. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 14, it says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, <clears throat> blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Anybody out there want to glorify God? Anybody out there want to give witness? I believe Peter had an opportunity in that moment to glorify God and even to make room for the Holy Spirit to bring some conviction to the servant girl and the people standing around, even though the variables surrounding that opportunity were less than perfect. Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. What are we saying? Peter had an opportunity. You know, I, again, thinking to myself and in prayer, I thought, you know what? How many times in my life have I bypassed an opportunity because I didn't like all the variables surrounding the opportunity? Because I imagined an opportunity looking different. Because I was waiting for everything to be perfect. I was waiting for perfect people to come and be part of the opportunity along with me. I was waiting for somebody to recognize my gift, right? All these different things, we wait 
for perfect situations before we take the opportunity. What I am proposing that we all do is to learn to identify the opportunities that are around us all the time and to take advantage of them for the glory of God. Listen today, you have an opportunity right now to serve God. You have an opportunity right now to be used by God. You have an opportunity right now to love your wife, to love your husband, to build a godly home. You have an opportunity right now to exercise your faith, to believe God for the impossible. You don't have to wait for all the variables to be perfect before you go ahead and step out and take advantage of the opportunity and watch God do amazing things. I want to read to you. I want to read to you a little excerpt out of this book. It's called With by Sky Jathani. Really good book. And um, he starts to tell a story about a young black preacher, age 26, in the 1950s. I'll just give it away. His name is Martin Luther King Jr. And he took a pastorate at the age of 26. No sooner had he taken that pastorate uh, when Rosa Parks, uh, the, the, the Rosa Parks situation took place, Rosa Parks was, was arrested, and so uh, the, uh, the black uh, Christian leaders uh, of, in that place decided to get together and to uh, put forth an effort for civil rights. And so it's interesting, though, in the book, uh, Sky does a good job of uh, helping us understand exactly what was going on, and he, and he mentions here that because Martin Luther King was the young guy, all the other pastors and leaders voted to have the initial meeting at his church. And Martin Luther King admits, you know, had it not been at my church, I might not have gone. Because it was my, at my church, I had to go to the meeting. So he shows up to the meeting, and what happens, the, uh, the other pastors and leaders pass, pass the buck to the young guy. He's now responsible for leading the effort in civil rights in their area. Does that sound like an opportunity or does that sound like you got put into a position, you were thrust into a position and now, you know, what do I do? Well, the story goes on that Martin Luther King did accept and did begin to lead, um, lead the charge. And so, of course, what happens, well, he, he's faced then with death threats and all kinds of horrible things. Uh, and and one, on one particular evening, he gets a phone call in the middle of the night. And this is what the voice on the other side of the line said. I'm going to give you the PG version, okay? He said, listen, if you're not out of here in three days, we're going to come kill you and we're going to blow up your house. And, he had, and, and Martin Luther King was taken back and he was thinking to himself, man, how can I get out of here? How can I save my family, save my life? And then there was a voice that spoke to him, stand for righteousness, stand for justice, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so he decided to stick around. Four days later, he's preaching at a rally. He gets done preaching and somebody comes running up to him. Listen, Mr. King, you've got to get home. Your house has been firebombed. And so we pick up the story here. It says, when he arrived at the parsonage, King found it on fire with the front of the home destroyed. Hundreds of angry black citizens were surrounding the house with more coming from every direction. The white police officers tried to keep order, but the mob was armed with knives, bats, bottles, and guns. King made certain that his wife and daughter were unharmed and then pushed his way through the crowd to the smoldering porch. King signaled the crowd to calm down. He reminded those who had come to do battle that he who lives by the sword shall perish by the sword. Then to the amazement of both the angry black citizens and the frightened white police officers, King calmly told the mob, I want you to love your enemies. Be good to them. Love them and let, the, and let them know that you love them. What we are doing is right. 
what we are doing is just and God is with us. One witness said there were tears on many faces. The, the weapons were put down and the crowd began singing Amazing Grace. King's wife later said, this could well have been the darkest night in, in Montgomery's history, but the Spirit of God was in our hearts. The sight of Reverend King standing on the rubble of his fire-bombed home and calling the black citizens of Montgomery to love those responsible changed the course of the civil rights movement. He had preached about love, forgiveness, and nonviolence before, said one historian. But now, seeing the idea in action, millions were touched, if not converted. You say, Pastor Joe, what's your point? I, I think my point is found in that phrase where it said Martin Luther King had talked about love, nonviolence, peace before, but once it was seen in action, that's what touched people's hearts. That's what touched people's lives, and that's what brought conversion. You see, this, this lofty goal that we are aspiring to achieve, this lofty goal of following Jesus in triumph and victory and one day into ultimate glory, not everybody can see it. But when we learn to identify and take opportunities, all of a sudden our lives become signs and signals of the ultimate that is a reality. And all of a sudden it touches people's hearts, it touches people's lives, and the world around us is changed. My friend today, if you want to be prepared to follow Jesus, You've got to learn to identify and take opportunities. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 in the Amplified, it says, Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposely, purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people, making the most of the time. Watch this. Buying up every opportunity because the days are evil. Will the church of Jesus Christ Please stand up in our world today. We achieve readiness number three, finally number three today, by denying ourselves to follow Christ. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, remember this is not just a story about Jesus, his humility and his ultimate triumph and glory. This is a call to you and to me to follow in his footsteps. We are prepared to follow when we build for storms. We are prepared to follow when we learn to identify and take opportunities. And finally today, we, we achieve readiness to follow Jesus by denying ourselves to follow him. Yes. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to, to, to the disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I'll be honest with everybody today. For a long time, for years, this verse eluded me. I could not figure out what my cross was. Right? Let him take up his cross. I think any honest person has to ask himself, what's my cross? Is it a literal cross? Now, there have been some people, right, who have taken up a, little, a literal cross in the name of Jesus and for the cause of Christ. But, but, but if that's not my call, then, then Jesus, what is my cross? I could never figure it out. Ah, the answer is found in the phrase just before the part about the cross. Let's read it again. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, is that anybody here today? Let him deny himself. The answer is, the, the answer to the question, what is my cross, is in the times of your life where you have a different desire, a different opinion, 
and, it, and, and, and you want to go a different way than where the Father wants you to go, that is your cross to bear. The cross is denying yourself and following Him. Listen, today there will, be, there will be times where the will of God will do nothing more than excite you and fill you and fulfill you. Jesus said, the, Jesus said my food is to do the will of my Father, right? But then there'll be other times where like Jesus, you're going to have to get in that place of prayer, work out the kinks and say, not my will, God, but yours be done. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus into triumph, victory, and ultimate glorification. Today, in conclusion... I want to say this to everybody. As poorly as the disciples performed that evening, right, they eventually became prepared. They achieved readiness. In fact, they've gone on to be with the Lord, and the Bible tells us in Revelation that their names are written on the gates of heaven. They achieved ultimate glorification as well. In fact, the Bible says, or the Bible, history tells us that each one of them, they, they learned how to uh, weather storms, they took opportunities. That's why we have the gospel today, right? And then history tells us that all but one were martyred for their faith. The guys that abandoned him, the guys that ran off, the guys disputing who's going to be the greatest, eventually were able to meet the moment fully prepared. They gave their lives and they, and they achieved ultimate glorification. The lesson is this. No matter where you are in your journey of preparation, God can do the work in you to cause you to achieve readiness and follow him in victory, in triumph, and into ultimate glory. If you got something good from God's word today, come on, can you give Jesus? Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.